The following audio-supported podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please speak with your healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. The guests on today's show were paid to participate in this podcast. Welcome back to Just Listen Voices of PK Deficiency. My name is Amy Board, and I am one of the producers of Bloodstream Media and your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about the White Paper, which is a landmark report developed by the Pyrute Kinase Deficiency Advocacy Advisory Council, or the AAC. This important report shares the results of an international survey exploring communication between PK deficiency patients and caregivers and their hematologists. The AAC is funded and supported by Agios. Dr. Grace is a pediatric hematologist and a clinical researcher at the Boston Children's Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. She is the medical director of both the Hematology Ambulatory Program and the Hematology Clinical Research Program. We'll also hear from some familiar voices from previous episodes, but first, let's listen in to Dr. Grace. We're going to talk about the PK Deficiency Advocacy Advisory Council, or the AAC. And I just wondered if we could start by telling me a little bit about what it was, what it is, why it formed, and what's the vision of the AAC. The AAC is the Paruve Kinase Deficiency Advocacy Advisory Council, and it's an international group. It's multidisciplinary, and it includes patients, caregivers, patient advocates, and clinicians. And the group has a number of uh, different aims when we meet. One of them was to launch the survey. And the the reason that the survey was created was to try to explore how communication works between patients and caregivers and the hematologists and really try to understand if patient and caregiver needs are being um, met by their hematologists, and if not, where those gaps are and how to address those gaps as a group. You've heard from Tamara Shriver and Carl Landruff thrive with PK Deficiency in Episode 3. Tamara lives with PK Deficiency and is the president of Thrive. Carl also lives with PK Deficiency and is the International Collaboration Director of Thrive. Let's take a listen to what they have to say about the AAC and the white paper. So, um, let's start with a vision. So, it's this is really good to talk to about this because it's really interesting work that actually is making a difference to people in all sorts of countries. So the vision of the AAC is to ensure that there are resources out there in some ways to meet our unmet needs. I participated in AAC. I was actually really excited to be invited to be on the board. For me, it meant an opportunity to advocate for pyruvic kinase deficiency. And I hadn't really ever had that opportunity. So when I learned about it, I jumped on it because it was just this time to meet experts from around the world and fellow PKD patients and caregivers. So the idea of collaborating with other people to work on brainstorming how to get the word out about the importance of pyruvic kinase was It was like a great opportunity. We meet on a quarterly basis, and a lot of our discussions are really geared toward taking action. And who makes up the AAC? There's clinicians, there's patients. Tell me a little bit about the makeup. Sure. There are some expert doctors who have done research, pyruvate kinase deficiency. 
And then there's also some nonprofit members. And then there are also patients that have PKD. There are also caregivers of patients. And then there is some representation from pharmaceutical companies that are doing research in PKD. So it's a cross sector of stakeholders that are coming together to address the situation around PKD. I think I mentioned this before as well around mental health and and cognitive disorders, so sort of memory loss, brain fog, etc. Because there is collective thinking and amongst many of us that you've got to be careful how you use phrases and, and terminology. But there is thinking that as a child, when you're pinned down having a needle poked in your arm, actually the outcomes of that can be a form of PTSD. Now, it's not shocking, really, as some, some horrific injuries that are very acute and traumatic. But when you have those kind of physical things, but also as a child, you are bullied because of the colour of your skin. You can't run as fast as your friends. You can't do the things that everyone else does. You can't go on some of the holidays because they're too active. And we really want to help look at the issues there, particularly support young people in the future around you know, those issues and what support can be put in place so that they don't become problems later on in life. And, and there's some interesting you know, conversations around trauma leading to physical pain later in life. What does that mean? And is that an issue for people like myself? I've got rheumatoid arthritis, for example. So mental health is a big area that we really want to focus on and make sure that the support is there for people. And I think the AAC has worked amazingly well. So we have colleagues from there that support the work. We have external facilitators who are based in the UK and, and in the States. And then we have medics and we have five people with PK deficiency or, or carers. So it's a really different group coming from different perspectives and different experiences. So the first part of the work was all about talking through a whole array of unmet needs. And they then got kind of condensed down into what is it we really think are the most important areas. So the things, and I talked about this in my last podcast, about particularly around helping local doctors, local hematologists who aren't in regional or national centres to understand pyruvate kinase efficiency, PKD, and its implications, its treatments, its risks, and all the things you have to watch out for. You'll remember Alejandro Watson and Laura Miller D'Angelo of the Pirate Kinase Deficiency Foundation from Episode 4. Alejandra is the founder and board president of the foundation, and she's also a caregiver to a son living with PK deficiency. Laura is the founder and board secretary and treasurer, as well as a PK deficiency patient. What topics did the survey explore? Information, advice, and support tools that provided at or around the time of diagnosis, the knowledge and understanding of PK deficiency uh, on the part of the hematologist providing care to the person with PK deficiency, the quality of life of each uh, patient, the levels of communication with hematologists, including the feelings following the interactions for with the hematologist. So every time that they were going to the hematologist, what was the feeling that he was leaving in each patient after they seen the patient and caregiver uh, relationship with their hematologist, how it impacted their care uh, for their loved ones and for themselves. And personally, why did you think the survey and the white paper 
would be important to the community? Because bring a lot of data that we can help, that it help us to fill the gaps that we have. But also at the same time, the white paper, it gives us a different aspect where we can also see what it's, more gaps are. So every it's, it's like you open a box and you say, oh, I'll go to do this. And then you find out uh, you're still missing a lot of pieces. So the, the AAC together and the white paper brings all these components together to make accessible for clinicians and population in general to see what we are lacking and what how can we fill up the needs for uh, each patient. What can patients and caregivers do to make sure that their voices are heard? To get close to us as an advocate for the pa- the patient community. It's I it's two foundations right now and it's also other ones around the world that they can get together. They can also communicate through the members of the AAC, also ones that we are sitting at the AAC. They can give us their opinions, their questions, then everything that they may have, they can they can come to us. We can bring it to the AAC. Their voices are going to be here no matter what. So whether it's through an AAC member or through a foundation or the other foundations that have been helping us like in the United Kingdom or the North Foundation or TIF, the Thalassemia Foundation. So we are all here together to help them to be here. So we wanted to collaborate. We wanted to work together for the benefit of all the patients. World. And you can collect a lot of stories. It's time to share them and to talk with experts and loved ones about what a this can teach you about yourself and about the world at large. About what all of this has taught me. From Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media, this is the Final Summit, podcast for cultures, leaders, and anyone who's ever chased. Subscribe to the Final Summit podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and join me, Chris Bombardier, for episode one on May twenty third, one day after the five year anniversary of my summit of Mount Everest. I can't wait to share this leg of my journey. Laura, what further work needs to be done in terms of support for patients? We've done so much so far. We've, I think, accomplished a lot on the AAC. The white paper is something to be celebrated because it's the first of its kind that is out there that we have people from patients and caregivers, and we had physicians participate in creating the white paper. And that's the first time that's ever been done to bring all of us together. I I think that, of course, more research is needed to build another survey where we can collect more information for the patients in order to fill out those gaps that are still existing. And we need to understand those gaps. And doing this further research with the patients, it can bring more help to the hematology community to improve the care in every patient with PKD. We can also figure out what are the gaps, psychologically gaps, how can we help, how can we do more research in that area, 
or even other parts of the body, the organs. We we need we have so much to do. I just did the right thing, bringing us all together, putting all our thoughts, those brains together, and with the help of our community, we can do more. Alone, you cannot do it by yourself. We need to do it together. I can add one thing to that, and this is something that affects me personally, aging. The PKD community, how our disease differs as we changes, as we age. I was at one time very ill, and then I became more healthy, and then things started to rear their ugly head again, and I started having problems again. So that I think we still need to uh, understand the differences in the age groups of how PKD affects them and maybe how just prepare those younger people that these are some of the things that you may experience as you get older. Also, I think there's probably differences in men and women, how they experience PKD. And I think that is something that we need to look forward to as well. We did not tap into that. And I think we, we need to go there as well. Laura, this question is specifically for you as a non-transfused patient yourself, I believe. What did the survey tell us about non-transfused patients and their specific needs in relation to that physician-patient communication? So I think we found out when we surveyed people and we did separate between the the transfused and the non-transfused. And we found out that the transfusion-dependent people seem to have a better relationship with their hematologist simply because they see their hematologist more than somebody who is not transfused. I, as a person who is not transfused often, I only see my hematologist every four to six months. And I've only had two transfusions since I've been with my newest hematologist since about 2018. So we really, that's what stood out to me is that the transfused people just, they had a better relationship with their hematologist and felt that they got um, very good care from their hematologist, which with people like me, I came away from that. I I took the survey myself and uh, one of my answers was, you know, I just, I don't feel as I'm getting the care that I need as much as I should be getting. And I, and there was other people that, you know, once we saw the survey, they basically, I think felt the same way as I did. Dr. Grace, what did you note as a clinician on non-transfused patients? One of the surprising findings from the survey was about non-transfused patients, that people who are not receiving regular transfusions were the most likely to report that their hematologists were not managing their condition well, or at least likely to report that the hematologist was managing their condition well. And only half of them felt that the hematologist understood the impact of their disease on their everyday life. So I think from that, I think what we're learning is that people who are not transfused may not be seeing their hematologist regularly, may not be getting the monitoring they need, may not be having the kinds of discussions with their hematologist that they're hoping for. And perhaps they're what's most affecting those patients isn't being addressed at their appointments. And so I think we need to pay more attention to patients that are not being transfused about what their needs are and making sure that we're attentive to how they're feeling and the impact of their disease on their everyday life. 
One of the topics that the AAC chose to explore was the communication between patients and caregivers and their hematologists. And I wondered, uh, what are your thoughts on that? What are the gaps in those areas? What did the survey find? It was very interesting, actually. So the gaps that particularly stuck out for me were that people who have less blood transfusions feel that they've got okay communication, but were reported worse mental health scores. And I find that particularly fascinating, that what is the link there? And, and people that, you know, some people were saying that they felt their health was worse. Now, is it because they believed they should be having more transfusions? Or is it because they generally don't need transfusions, they don't have regular follow-up? So if you're, you know, but the converse of that, I, you know, and I did talk this through with colleagues, is that I have blood every week. You have such a unique perspective as someone who has lived with PK deficiency and also being a part of these organizations. From your perspective, how do you think this survey and this white paper in particular is going to be used to improve disease management and the patient experience overall? So the white paper is actually research that we did about communication with physician, and I'm really proud of it. We basically interviewed over 260 people, and it was uh, a survey that was done over the internet during COVID. And then from there, people were, they were able to indicate whether or not they would like to do a one-hour in-depth interview, like a qualitative interview. And so from there, the, per- the people who did the survey were able to do a deep dive and get some qualitative data, what it's like to communicate with doctors. From all that data, we were able to get some qualitative and quantitative findings about what it's like to be a patient with PKD and our experience communicating with doctors. I think that one of the key things is it will bring to the attention of many people PK deficiency because there'll be a paper now. I think it's, it'll, it is unique because it's written by clinical staff and patients and carers. And that I don't think in my, I mean, as a nurse myself, I don't remember ever reading much literature of that nature. I think also it's quite wide in its potential circulation. So it could be for nurses, for therapists, for psychologists, obviously for medics, to bring to their attention some of the issues around PK deficiency, the mental health problems, the support that people actually need, which they're not getting. How will this survey and this white paper be used to improve PK deficiency management and the patient experience? We hope to make hematologists and other healthcare professionals aware of the psychosocial issues that patients with PKD go through. And so we can sit in an appointment and appear to be really pleased with the appointment and appointments are pretty short. And then sometimes we'll leave and we might feel anxious and worried and we probably didn't bring that up during the appointment. And so it's important for physicians to know that even though we're pleased with the information that you gave us, we still have a lot of concerns about how to manage our disease at the end of the day because being anemic really affects your quality of life. And a physician doesn't exactly have the time to discuss the quality of life and to go deep into that. So a good idea would be for the physician to ask about it and to see if maybe he or she should make a referral to a psychiatrist or a therapist or somebody else or 
for example, a support group, someplace where you can go to find your people and to find some more assistance and some more help. So I think that's really important is that the the physician can't handle all of the needs of the patient, and it's okay to pass on some of those needs to other groups or other healthcare professionals. And, and what my hope is certainly in this country is that it will start, as we distribute that, it will start a conversation with clinicians in all sorts of places and start to build upon. There are networks in this country, red cell networks, where clinic, clinical staff and non-clinical staff talk about policies and, and protocols, etc. But that does feel to have quite a clinical drive to it. And actually, I think this is about a, a holistic drive, that this isn't just a, a, a blood problem that numbers and sorting out the numbers cures. And it'll also, I hope, maybe start a conversation. Thinking about patients and caregivers, in your opinion, how do you think it'll assist them in their advocacy, in their treatment management? What could you see as this work that the AAC has done? How can it benefit patients? I think for patients, the white paper validates what they're feeling. And a lot of times you spend, you're just spinning your wheels thinking, am I the only person that feels this way? Or you, don't, you might not even have that tangible thought. But once you read the white paper, the topics that we've explored will validate the feelings that you've had. And that's a good starting place. We can start these conversations based upon the fact we've got a document to talk through. And because of the way it's been published, okay, white papers aren't peer-reviewed, but they have experts. You know, we've got some international experts who've co-written it and written a foreword for it as medics. So. It has a huge amount of kudos to it, and I hope that we can use that as a way of saying that this is a serious group that comes up with some serious ideas, and let's have some feedback as well. So what do other clinical staff think are the, the unmet needs? If you haven't already, for exploring the emotions of having a chronic disease, because it is complex, and a lot of people like to compartmentalize it and tuck it away like it doesn't exist, but it really does. So this white paper helps you as an individual to open up that box that you've packed away in the corner of your heart or your brain and look at what is it that I've been hiding or protecting for a long time and what can I start to unpack and deal with, deal with either my family or with people like me who have for listeners that are not as familiar with AAC, tell us a bit what the council is currently working on and is if you are still uh, meeting. We are still meeting. It's been interesting during the pandemic to figure out how best to meet. So our very first meeting was scheduled to be in person, and then that all changed in 2020. So we've been meeting virtually all along on a regular basis, and we the group works on kind of multiple different aspects of a prioritized list. The survey was one of one of the highest priorities. And then now that we know the results of the survey with these action items, the group is tasked with, well, then how do we address these important action items that have come out of the survey? The challenge of collaborating virtually, you would think that would be very hard. And especially in this day and time with COVID, it was really our only way because we have 
people from the United States, people from Italy, people from other countries come together, right? Then we wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't virtual with the pandemic. So I think it's been very successful. We we were all so excited to be a part of the AAC. And thank goodness we have the technology and the people who know how to bring us all together from different countries with different time zones and make it work. Based on the survey results, how can hematologists improve communication with their patients? One way is for hematologists to stay up to date on information about pyruvate kinase deficiency. So it's incredibly important to read the information that's been published and presented at medical conferences over the last five to 10 years, because there really has been a huge growth in what we've learned about the disease and about the complications patients might have and how best to monitor for those. And our treatments have expanded, whereas before we mainly had supportive treatments with transfusions and chelation and splenectomy. Now we have disease-directed treatments with Midapivot recently approved for adults with pyruvate kinase deficiency, as, as well as clinical trials with gene therapy. So it's important for hematologists to really stay up to date on the information as it um, excitingly keeps changing over time in a way that I hope will really help patients and their family. And I think it's important for hematologists also to pay attention to the non-transfused patients, that, that those patients have a lot of unmet needs, clearly, based on the survey. And those patients need regular monitoring. Those patients develop iron overload and osteopenia and other complications of pyruvate kinase deficiency and need to come regularly for visits. And some patients who are not transfused may need to be transfused at some point because of a complication or because of symptoms that they're having. And so that needs to be addressed at regular visits in terms of how the disease is impacting everyday quality of life. And then I think hematologists, I hope already are, but should be open to getting input from their colleagues and from experts at other institutions. I see that happening all the time in all different disease areas within hematology. And so pyruvate kinase deficiency shouldn't be any different in that regard. Thanks for listening to Just Listen Voices of PK Deficiency. Don't forget to hit that follow button in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Share the show with members of the PK Deficiency community. And if you'd like to learn more about PK Deficiency and see what resources to support people impacted by PK Deficiency, visit knowpkdeficiency.com. That is K-N-O-W-P-K-deficiency.com. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to talking with you again.